come and have your way. So I want to invite you in if you've had your cup of tea or coffee and uh, someone has greeted you. Uh, I want to invite uh, Josh Armstrong. Yeah, uh, uh, Josh is, um, is, is a leader in the vineyard. Uh, so he's part of a, of a vineyard church. Oh yeah, uh, now I remember what I was going to say. Okay. So you know how, you know how I, I often remind us we're part of a big family? That family spreads across uh, this, uh, beyond this nation. So uh, he's part of our family, so uh, welcome home. Um, Josh is part of a vineyard in East Tennessee, and he's been out in missions for a long time, and he's also working with the vineyard here uh, because he's coordinating uh, missions for Africa from Vineyard USA. And uh, he's loved Nakur, so he's going to come back. Uh, but I've loved uh, our time together and can't wait for you to share with us. Oh, thanks, man. Edgar's a pretty good guy, huh? Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that's for Edgar and not for me because he's a much cooler guy than me. Is it okay if I sit? I'm a pretty informal guy. And sorry for the American accent. I'll try to enunciate. As Americans, we're not very good at enunciation especially in the southeast of the United States. So I'm going to do everything in my power to enunciate and make it clear today. Uh, hey, it really is an honor to be with you guys. Um, as Edgar said, I come from Tennessee in the eastern part of the United States. Uh, but I've been working with Vineyard Missions uh, primarily around Africa for quite a few years now, which is how I got to know Edgar. Um, and so it's just a real privilege to be here, especially because um, I have to tell you, so I've been able to travel around a lot of the world, but the very first place I ever went internationally outside of the U.S. was right here in Kenya. That was about 18 years ago. And uh, I went to a few places, but one of them was Nakuru. And I must say, in 18 years, it's changed a little bit. I don't know, those of you who are from here, it's a little bit different than it used to be. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I also want to say that this particular church is beautiful. And wonderful. You guys have been incredibly welcoming, so thank you. I'll have to tell you one quick story before I get into the message here about my first time that I was uh, in Kenya. I spent about two months. Uh, the, the short version of the story is that the guy that discipled me, his name was Daniel Tolan, his wife, uh, her father started Tenwick Hospital. Those of you who know Tenwick, over toward Caricho. And uh, I was in the U.S., I was having a crisis of faith. I was really, really struggling. And Daniel Tolan, when I was in university, he took me under his wings, he walked with me for about one year, and then he brought me to Kenya for two months, and it changed my life. God really used that in my life. And while I was here, I spent about one month in Pokot. For those of you who know Pokot, we were in West Pokot, which is a pretty remote area, I think even today. And one quick story about that, they asked me to come and share my story at a little church at a tiny village way out in the bush. And so I got up and I shared my story. I had a translator with me and the people were so kind. I don't know if they really understood what I was talking about, but they gave me a standing ovation and they said, thank you for being here. And then the chief of the tribe took me to uh, a mile away. Maybe that's about two kilometers away. To his, to his home, and it was, a, it was a hut, and we went inside, and he served me 
and my other American friend that was with me a giant cup of what's called Morsik. You guys know what that is? Okay, we don't have that in the United States. Uh, and it was really, really hot outside. Now, I was the guest speaker, so I was considered the guest of honor. So they gave me the big cup, and I gave my friend the little cup. My translator friend said, you're expected to drink this whole thing. I said, all right. So I said, help me, Jesus. So I drank the whole thing almost in one gulp, and my world started spinning. And I said, oh, Jesus, help me. And the chief of the tribe came over, and he said something. And the interpreter said, oh, he said, since you like it so much, he'll fill it up for you again. He filled the whole thing up. I walked two kilometers back to our vehicle in the blazing heat, and I thought I was going to die, but I didn't die. I'm here with you today, back in Kenya, 18 years later. Um, and God really used that uh, as a catalyst in my life to be on mission, not only right where we live in East Tennessee, but around the world. And I've gotten to do that over the last few years, and it's really been just such a joy. Uh, now I have a wife, I have two kids. And I want to share with you a little bit about why I have come to be so excited to be on mission, wherever I'm at, right where I live or around the world. And it's because of a concept, and this may seem, seem a little strange at first to you, but it's because of a concept called thin places. Now some of you, I, I met a few people today that are here from the UK. If you're from the UK, will you throw your hand up real quick? Bunch, oh wow, a bunch of you, okay. And actually Joy, who was leading, uh, one of the leaders up here in worship was telling me she's from Ireland, I think from Northern Ireland. Uh, my people are Scots-Irish, so they come from that area. And in uh, Scots-Irish tradition, especially in Celtic tradition, there's an idea of something called thin places. Thin places. And it's kind of an interesting concept. The idea for the Celts is that there are places on planet Earth that are so mysterious and so beautiful that it seems like the veil between heaven and earth is really thin. Almost like you can reach out and touch God. Now that's, whether that's true or not, I don't know. It, it's an interesting concept, right? Uh, so think about some of the most beautiful places you've been. I tell you, right here in Nakuru seems like a thin place to me. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I've been in places in the world where the sunset seems so incredible that you think, oh my gosh, heaven might break in at any moment. This is a thin place. And sometimes experiences that we have are thin places. I'll give you some of mine. I, the birth of our firstborn, uh, my daughter Ellie, who's 12 years old now, she's a giant, so I'm pretty tall. She's like this tall at 12 years old, and she's beautiful. I don't really care about guns, but I'm going to go and buy a big gun to keep the boys away from my daughter. Uh, yeah, and when she was born, it was so surreal in the hospital room. I thought this, it feels like God's presence is so thick that heaven is going to come flooding in and my heart can't contain it. You ever experienced that? Maybe in worship. I mean, I'm telling you what, your worship team up here is incredible. I was told George is the leader. He's not even here. This team is unbelievable, man. And sometimes in worship services, we experience the fullness and presence of God it seems like a thin place, like heaven is about to come breaking in to earth. And maybe you've experienced a thin place. The Bible 
gives us ideas of thin places. It doesn't call them that, but as I say some of these, some of those of you who grew up in church, you'll be like, oh yeah, that, maybe that was a thin place. So Mount Sinai, remember that place? God met with Moses on the mountain and had this incredible experience with God. And then Moses also met with him at the burning bush. You remember that? What a weird story. God speaks to Moses and he says, I am Yahweh. I am that I am. It was mysterious and it was a thin place. And then the Bible talks about this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. Remember that? The place where only the high priest could go in and have an encounter with God on behalf of the people. And maybe the most mysterious place in the Bible is the Garden of Eden, right? Where Adam and Eve, you know, we're giving these, these pictures to help us understand what it was like. And we can't fully understand what the garden was like. But it tells us that Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the garden. What must that have been like? I think it was a thin place. I've got thin places in my life today. Uh, my, I have an office, a small little office in my home. And, and more than an office, it's a place where I can go and get away from my noisy children and pray and seek God's face. And there have been moments where it feels like the veil between heaven and earth is very thin. God has met me in there. I don't know if You've got a place like that. Where I live in East Tennessee, we have the Smoky Mountains. They're not nearly as tall as Mount Kenya or Mount Kilimanjaro, but they're beautiful and they're mysterious and they're considered to be very old mountains. And they're called the Smoky Mountains because mist comes through there and the clouds come low and it looks like the mountains have smoke rising off of them. And I have places in the Smoky Mountains where I go pretty consistently. I feel like it's a thin place. God's presence flooding in. Now, you might be saying, okay, well, that's great. Thin places. Uh, maybe that's a thing. Maybe it's not. Whatever. But what I really want to talk to you today uh, about today is why I do what I do, and I believe why many of you do what you do. Maybe you don't have this language that I'm about to share with you, but I, here's why I do what I do. It's because I believe that when people start following Jesus, they have the opportunity to see themselves and become thin places. Themselves. As in me. As in you. And you, be, you may be saying, well, that sounds a little bit crazy. Edgar, who did you invite here today? Let me, let me just stay with me for a second. If Jesus comes into our lives, and he becomes our Lord and our Master, and then He gives us His Holy Spirit to dwell in us, then we have God in us, the Bible calls the hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to change the world and be a thin place. Listen, what if every one of us today saw ourselves as a thin place, a little pocket of heaven breaking in on earth? What would happen to our workplaces? What would happen to our schools? What would happen to our neighborhoods? And this is why I like, to, this is why I love mission. Because I believe that God calls all of the people who are followers of Jesus to be a thin place, a place where heaven and earth can collide. And that's interesting to me. Whether that's a thing or not, it's interesting. But I do want to look at some scripture and hopefully make a strong case for it in the next couple of minutes. Um, let me just quote one scripture to you before we really dig into some more. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Many of you have heard this before. Paul says, don't you realize 
that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Spirit of God lives in you. We don't need a temple. We don't need this tent as wonderful as it is and it serves a purpose and a function. We don't need this. We are the temple and the Holy Spirit works in and through us. And that's different. That's different. You know, the, the ancient Jews, you know, the Israelites, I don't know if you've heard this before, but for them, when they thought about heaven, they didn't necessarily think about someplace way off in the sky, but rather they understood it more so to be a place where God dwells. Now you may be saying, of course, yeah, I know that. But for them, wherever heaven is, God is. And wherever God is, heaven is. Now, why is that a big deal? Because I just told you that the Bible says that if you have Christ in you, you have his Holy Spirit, meaning you have Christ, the Holy Spirit, inside of you. If wherever heaven is, God is, and wherever he God is, heaven is, and God is now working in you, what does that mean? It means it might be a thin place. You guys with me so far? My, is my American accent already betrayed me? Are we good? Okay, very good. I got Bill back there. He's from close to where I'm from. So Bill's, if nobody else is good, Bill's good. All right. There's a guy named Dallas Willard, and he said this. We are built to live in the kingdom of God. It is our natural habitat. We are built to live in the kingdom of God. It is our natural habitat. What does that mean? I think Jesus, when he came to planet Earth, he came and he showed us what it means. He was God in the flesh, and yet filled with the Holy Spirit, he took on flesh, and he went around being a thin place. Everywhere he went, heaven came breaking in. People got healed. Demons fled. The good news of the kingdom was proclaimed. Heaven broke in. And he taught us to pray with expectancy to see the same thing, didn't he? He said, you guys pray like this. Pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we consider ourselves a thin place, then we are an agent to see that prayer happen. And what if we believe that? Because many of you today, you're like, yeah, I've heard this. I know those things. And I'm the same way. I know these things. But I live most of my life like I don't know these things. What about you? It's hard to constantly understand that we are a thin place, a place where heaven and earth can collide wherever we may be going. Here's a quick question worth considering before we go on. What are you and God doing together lately? What are you and God doing together lately? Because if we are that thin place, then waking up every morning and saying, God, what are we doing today, becomes a really important question. And it's a way to see ourselves as empowered and enabled to go on mission. So I want to give you just three very quick things to think about when you think about being a thin place. The first is this. I believe that we are called to be a thin place in the ordinary. In the ordinary. It's not for Edgar, big titan of the faith that he is, to do all the work of the ministry. It's not for me to do the work or just the leaders of this church, but rather all of us. In the vineyard, we talk about everybody gets to play. All of us can be a thin place in the ordinary. When I say ordinary, I'm referring to our schools and our workplaces and the places we have tea or coffee and the places that we hang out in our neighborhoods. Wherever we are, thin places 
uh, are a possibility because we're the people of God. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, says this. And I'm going to quote the message. I hope that's okay. It's an interesting version of the Bible. I'm just going to quote it on this passage because I think it's a really interesting way of looking at these verses. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, says this. Jesus now called the twelve, the disciples, and he gave them authority and power to deal with all the demons and cure diseases. He commissioned them to preach the good news of God's kingdom and heal the sick. He said, don't load yourselves up with equipment. Listen. He said, keep it simple. You are the equipment. You are the equipment. You are the people of Christ called to go out and you don't have to have a lot of bells and whistles to be able to do it. You are the equipment. That's what Jesus says here. But let me give you some examples of what that looks like in the ordinary. I have a friend, and uh, that sounded really sad, didn't it? I have more than one. I have more than one. But this guy's name is Craig. He's an awesome guy. And he works for this loan service in Knoxville. Knoxville's really close. It's a, it's a larger city in the area that I'm from in Tennessee. And he goes to work every day. He's been doing this for years, and he helps people with their loans. Now, that can be an honorable job. You can really help a lot of people. But for Craig, he hates his job. He's done it for years. He grew up thinking, I'm going to go into the ministry. I'm going to do incredible things. And yet, he had a family, and he needed to take care of his family. And so every day, he wakes up because he's an honorable man, and he goes to work, and he does what he has to do. And he came to me a few years ago, and he's like, Josh, I hate my job. And you get to go all over the world. And, you know, he was like, and I just am stuck in this job. And I, was, I just said, you know, what about the people in your workplace? Like, who's reaching them? And he was like, ah, you know, some of them are kind of Christians. I said, you know, it's interesting. If you just really started seeing that as your mission field, then it seems like that's every bit as much a mission field as going to somewhere in the Middle East or going somewhere in... East Asia or wherever that's a mission field and he was like oh come on man I was like seriously just think about it just pray about it about four years ago my friend Craig took it seriously he started seeking the Holy Spirit and he started praying for tools resources and ideas to reach his large company his loan company in Knoxville that guy has transformed his workplace he has seen so many people come to Christ and he, uh, I know people that work there. They've said, dude, every time we come around Craig, that whole department that he works in, it feels like the air is different there. Isn't that interesting? See, he started seeing himself as a person of peace. He started seeing himself as a thin place. And it affected his workplace. You know, other examples. My kids, we've been so blessed, man. My kids have been in, in the public school system, you know, they, they've got a pretty good school they're in, but they've had a few teachers along the way that didn't just go and show up and teach to make money because, you know, that, that's their job. They saw themselves as thin places, and it transformed my children's lives. I've had teachers that have spoken into my kids' lives, have risen them up and empowered them, encouraged them. They've done that for so many other kids in the school. They're a thin place. Uh, my daughter, Ellie, she plays softball. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's like baseball. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's like cricket. And if you don't know what that is, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but it's big, in, it's big in the United States. Uh, do they have cricket here? You guys play 
crickets? Okay, maybe, yeah, a little bit. Uh, okay, awesome. I'm doing great. Um, she plays baseball, softball, and she's played it for years, and she had a bunch of coaches that were just, you know, yelling at her and yelling at the other girls, you got to do a good job. Why are you sliding like that? Why are you hitting the ball like that? Yelling, not encouraging. About two years ago, she had a coach. She played for a team called the Yankees. She had a coach named Luke. And as soon as I met Luke, I was like, man, that guy is different. There's something about that guy. He was so good to the girls along the, the, the course of the season. And he spoke into their lives. He took time to teach them. And all that was great, but, you know, he just got lucky with a good coach. The end of the season, they had like an award ceremony where they would give out something to the best players. Luke showed up, and he had papers just like I have here. He had prepared. He proceeded to speak a word over every single girl on the team. He said a word over my daughter, and it was prophetic. I mean, it was a word that I was like, oh my gosh, that could launch her into the rest of her life. He started crying when he was talking about these girls. The love in his heart poured out of him, and I was like, this dude loves Jesus. There's something about this guy. And in that moment, in a 10-year-old softball girls award ceremony, which nobody cares about, a thin place, was this guy took his... He believed that he had the Holy Spirit working in him and through him. These are ordinary things, guys. These are ordinary things. And all of us are involved in ordinary places. And yet we have the opportunity to be thin places in the ordinary places. And the kingdom of God can come breaking in. Um, one more thing about the ordinary. My wife and I, we really, really try to take this seriously in our neighborhood. We live on a street in Tennessee. It's on, it's on a hill it's on a hillside, and there are 14 houses on our street, and there's a street right above us that has another about 16 houses. And we felt like God was saying, you are to be a thin place in that neighborhood. Your family is to be something different there and to bring about peace. And so almost every day when I'm home, my wife and I, we walk and we pray through the street. We've gotten to know all the names of our neighbors. We've gotten to know the names of their kids. We've gotten to know what they love, what their hobbies are. We've gotten to know what their struggles are. And you know what we discovered? Behind every single door of every single home, there was a great battle being waged. Great battle for that home. There was a battle for the marriages. There was a battle for the lives of the children. And we started saying, Lord, break our hearts for our neighbors, not for people just around the world, but for right where we're at. We started teaching our kids, let's take Jesus seriously. When he says, pray your kingdom come and your will be done in our neighborhood, which is called Brooklyn Estates, in our neighborhood as it is in heaven. It's, it's an ordinary place, but God is doing extraordinary things just because simple people like us and our kids are starting to say, we want to love our neighbors. We want to be a thin place here. Before I go on, I would just say this. We literally, both here and around the world, have dozens of communities represented in this room. And if all of us recognize I'm a thin place, not because of anything special about me, but because of Jesus Christ and what he's done, now he's given me his Holy Spirit, we can change the communities we're in. 
It's not just for quote-unquote missionaries. We are missionaries. All of us. And we're called to be a thin place in the ordinary. I'll go into the second thing really quickly. Um, the second place I just believe and I felt so convicted that we're called to be a thin place in the darkness. Dun, dun, dun. The darkness. Sounds very daunting. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. We could talk about this passage for hours, but Edgar told me I only have like 30 to 35 minutes, so I'll keep it short. But here's what it says. It, this is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, yeah. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him. And nothing was created through him except through him. Excuse me, and nothing was created except through him. Verse 4 says, The word, which represents Jesus, of course, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Now listen to verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now why is that a big deal? I don't know if you notice in that last verse, but... Notice that the light isn't separated from the darkness. You notice that. The light shines into the darkness. And we're like, well, yeah, we know that. But here's what I've discovered in my life and in the lives of Christian friends that I have. We really like the light. We really loathe the darkness. And so we try to keep them separate. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus shines into the darkness, which makes our human existence really difficult. But I don't know about you, I live a lot of my life trying to avoid darkness, avoid people that make me uncomfortable, avoid people that are different than me, avoid people that have different politics, avoid people that have different sexual orientation, Avoid people who have more money or less money, and on and on and on. We avoid. We avoid what we see as the darkness, but Jesus calls us to shine into the darkness, to be a, a thin place there. It's different. Um, again, I, I want to quote a guy named Dallas Willard, who I just really like what he writes. He said, The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as quote-unquote Christians, whether they will become disciples. In other words, whether they will become students, apprentices, and practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. What Dallas Willard is saying is that it's going to be incumbent on us as to whether or not we are going to avoid the darkness or whether we are going to take our faith very seriously and shine into the darkness, being a thin place there. And I think God wants to use us in the places and the environments that we try to avoid. Um, and that's, that's difficult and it's messy. I was talking about our neighborhood. Man, our neighbors are messed up. Like, we've got a lot of... Uh, people that are struggling uh, with their marriages or struggling with you know, substance abuses or they, they have no idea how to parent their kids because their parents didn't know how to parent them and on and on and on. And there's just a lot of heaviness and darkness 
and divorce and uh, addiction and on and on. And honestly, we live in a, a pretty nice house. We actually have uh, the ability to come home and put our car in a place where nobody has to see us when we come home. And we could pull in and never come out of our house. We just feel like God's saying, no, no, no. Don't avoid. Darkness is all around you, but you have a light in you. Uh, don't avoid the darkness. Um, and so, like, in my church family back home, we go to a vineyard in East Tennessee, and, man, we have people in our church that actively look to step into marriages that are falling apart. Now, for me, when I see a marriage that's falling apart, it's, it's usually really messy, really difficult. Some of you guys have experienced that. It's hard. Marriage is hard. And to get involved in somebody else's marriage to help bring, you know, reconciliation and peace that is the Lord's work. I don't want it to be my work. <laughs> it's hard, man. We have people in our church that go looking for that mess. Isn't that crazy? Don't avoid the darkness. Step into it. That sounds crazy to me. We've got people in my church that they see broken kids. Now, I don't know about you. I, lo I like kids. I don't, you know, you know. I know that says something bad about me. I get that, okay? I like my kids. I probably don't like your kids. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, like, I'm not going to go spend time with kids normally. I'm definitely not going to go spend time with kids that have a lot of significant trauma and issues. Do you know those kids? Because they're all around us here. They're in every community, in every place on planet Earth. We got people in my church that go looking for those kids. <laughs> That's crazy. They don't want to avoid the darkness because children have, like all of us, both light and darkness embedded in us, but they want to find the light that is in there because kids are made in the image of God. There are people in my church that go looking for that image. They step in, they say, we see the darkness, but we see ourselves as thin places that are going to shine heaven into that darkness. And that's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Um... We're always going to have darkness in our neighborhoods. But to live like Jesus is not to live in fear or to avoid it. It is to shine into. That's different. Um, a couple quick stories and then I'll go to the last point. Um, so I, I mentored a couple of guys in my mid-20s. I was maybe 25, 26 years old. These guys were even younger than me at the time. They, one of them was from Mexico. I didn't tell you guys, we were actually we were missionaries for a while in Haiti. And then uh, now we do a lot of work over in West Africa as far as like internationally outside of the U.S. Um, I started working with a young Haitian guy, uh, and he was about 21 or 22 years old. Awesome young man, super energetic, had a lot of life. He loved Jesus. I started working also with a guy that I had met in Mexico. Same thing. Awesome guy, full of life, loved Jesus. And I was a little bit farther along than they were in the journey of my faith. And so I was mentoring them, just like Daniel Tolan mentored me in university. And I was walking with these guys. I could see, oh my gosh, these guys are going to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. I was so excited, and I spent time with them. I even spent some of my, the little money I had trying to help them to get resources they needed. And, and I spent so much time with them. And almost at the same time, both of those guys got their girlfriends pregnant, and they said, oh, man, we don't feel worthy because of what we've done. We've let you down. Uh, we were going to get married. 
but you know we were we were, we, we we were sexually active with our girlfriends before, and now we don't feel worthy anymore. They came to me with a lot of shame and confusion, and they thought I was going to do this to them. You know, turn my back on them because that's what they've experienced in the church. Unfortunately, by the way, I don't know if that happens here. But it happens. And I just remember that Dr. Daniel Tolan, I had been in a really dark place in my life in university when he started walking with me. He never gave up on me. He never gave up on me. And I told this Mexican guy and this Haitian guy the same thing. I said, you know what? Let's go through a period of reconciliation between you and God and the, and the relationships you need to have. Let's go through a time of repentance. Um, let's go through a time of just understanding and hearing from the Lord about what he wants to do in this season. But I'm not going to give up on you. One of those guys, I won't say which, <laughs> one of those guys was so full of shame that he said he just couldn't do it. And he left the ministry altogether. And not only that, he didn't take care of this little kid that was born to him. He didn't do the right thing as a man. He left. He had so much shame because of the darkness that was inside of him that he couldn't understand that the light shines in the darkness. Other young man. The other young man went through a season. It was months and months and months of renewal and restoration. And he reconciled his own life to God and he reconciled his life to this girl and they ended up getting married and he became an incredible father to this day, that guy has a movement of over 1,300 churches that have come from his ministry. And that's in a few short years. His ministry exploded, and he spoke into a culture that Jesus doesn't avoid the darkness, but he shines into it. He spoke into a culture that normally would not, uh, would not take back somebody after they've made a mistake. And he said, I can be a thin place here. And I just tell that story because some of you today are struggling with some kind of, you know, sin or struggle in your life, and you say, I can't be a thin place. I got too many problems. And I would just say, oh, man, you don't know my Jesus. He, he uses people like you all the time because he used a person like me, and I messed up. He uses us to be a thin place, even when we don't feel worthy, because none of us are. He makes us worthy. He calls us to be a thin place. One more short story. Um, there was a missionary a few years ago. Uh, oh, 300 years ago. That's more than a few. <laughs> there was a missionary named George Schmidt. He came from a, a Moravian background. If, if you know what that is, those were some missionaries that went out from Germany. And he was called to go to a, a little tribe in South Africa called the Kuku tribe. I think I'm saying that right. Probably not. Uh, they became known as the Hottentots. Have you guys ever heard of those people? Yeah, okay. I had not heard, but um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I'm probably saying all of those words very badly. Forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. And this, is a, this is a great church. This is a very supportive church. So this guy... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get heavily rebuked after this, but it's okay. Yeah. So this guy, George Schmidt, kind of a long story, but the short version is that he went down to South Africa. He tried to get the permission of the Dutch Reformed Church that was there to reach out to the Hottentots, but they said, no, uh, we don't even deal with those people. They're, they're one of the, the tribes nobody wants to be a part of, uh, and all kinds of stuff like that. Nevertheless, he went, 
and he served there for seven years, and he thought to himself that, man, I've not seen hardly anything come out of this. In fact, only five people gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized after seven years. But while he was there, he taught a bunch of people how to read the Bible, and he taught them how to pray. And after seven years, the Dutch Reformed Church down in Cape Town said, you can't be there anymore. Part of the reason is they were jealous because many of them couldn't read, and a lot of the Hottentots could read by that point because George Schmidt had helped them. And so they kicked George Schmidt out, and he had to go back to Germany. A lot of people don't know much about what happened with the rest of his life. Fifty years later, the Moravians were allowed to send missionaries back to that area. And they went way out in the bush, up to where the Hottentot lived, and they came to where they lived, and they started asking, has anybody heard of a missionary that was here 50 years ago? And all of them said, yes, yes, we, we've heard, and you should go talk to the old lady up on the top of that hill over there. You see that shack, that little house? She lives up there. And so those missionaries went up there, and they knocked on her door, and an old lady came out. And they said, did you know George Schmidt? She said, I did. He told me about Jesus. And they said, that's incredible. Um, like, do you know anything about, what do you know about Jesus? And she went, she got an old Bible that George Schmidt had given her, and she brought it out, and they said, can you actually, can you read that? She said, no. Too old. <laughs> My eyes can't see anymore. My granddaughter can. And she went and got her granddaughter. Come to find out, a whole bunch of other people had carried on the legacy of Jesus. George Schmidt thought it was all in vain. He thought that, the lot, that, that he'd come and tried to bring the light of Jesus, and yet all was still going to be, you know, darkness in that area. And yet, the darkness was penetrated by the light, and there is still a tradition in that area of Jesus following. Hundreds of years later, isn't that incredible? And I just tell you that because you may think that by not avoiding somebody in your neighborhood or in your workplace, that it's all in vain. What am I doing this for? Why am I doing this project for these people? Or why am I, you know, helping this community in need? Why am I even making a difference? Some of you are here today and you're a little bit discouraged. I know that. You say, am I even doing anything at all? And I would tell you, the light always shines in the darkness. And you are being a thin place. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. Wherever you're at, wherever the Lord's called you to. And the last point I want to make today is very short. I want to finish with this. I, I talked about being a thin place in the ordinary. I talked about being a thin place in the darkness. And I want to finish with something kind of strange. We're American. I'm American. We're, we're strange. Right, Bill? We're, we're weird people. I want to talk about being a thin place in the middle of grief. And I added this because I, as I was praying for you guys, I just really felt like the Lord might want to say something related to grief. I don't want to, I don't want to try to conjure up emotions. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I just think the Lord might have a word for somebody related to this. And to do that, I just want to briefly look at the story in the Gospel of John, John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Many of you know Lazarus' story. Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they lived in a little town called Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. They had become such good friends with Jesus. And Jesus was out doing ministry pretty far away, and he heard that his friend Lazarus was sick. 
And he, everybody knew Jesus could come back and make everything okay. But he didn't go back. Finally, he did decide to go back, but Lazarus was already dead, right? Nevertheless, he goes back. Now, Jesus is God. He could have gone in time. He chooses to go days after his buddy Lazarus, his friend Lazarus, is already dead. And I want to pick up in verse 28. John chapter 11, verse 28. I want to pick up, it's talking about Martha. It says, then she, Martha, returned to her sister Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him and Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary, comforting Mary, when they saw her leave so fast, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? Jesus asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, Oh my gosh, do you see how much he loved him? I don't know about you, like I grew up in church, and I heard this story, and it was beautiful, but I also thought, he knew what he was about to do. By the way, spoiler alert, <laughs> he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He does it in the next few minutes. He literally calls a dead guy out of the grave, and yet, knowing what was about to happen, he weeps. Why? Doesn't that seem kind of strange to you? Strange to me. And as I've been thinking about it and reflecting, and you know, lots of people have had ideas about why Jesus wept. I think Jesus is showing us an aspect of God that we desperately need to understand. We desperately need to understand that God grieves over the things of the world even though he's going to make everything okay again. I don't know if that's interesting to you. Interesting to me. Jesus took time to see the people he loved, and he chose to be a thin place. And the evidence of his thin place were the tears that fell down his face. Blessed are those who mourn. I would just pose to you today, maybe it's godly to grieve. There is hurt all around. We know that. There's hurt inside us. There's hurt in our marriages. And we always want to fix everything. Sometimes Jesus just calls us to be a thin place for those who are grieving. I would ask you this question. When's the last time you took to grieve, not as a reaction to something, but just because? I believe God grieves. That may sound, sound very strange to you. I believe God is, as, he is the most upset person about what is happening to the human race right now. In this very moment, God grieves, and he's going to make everything okay again. If you're here today, and you have no hope, let me give you some hope. I believe with everything inside me, Jesus will make everything okay again. We are to join him in the renewal 
of all things, but until then, there's a lot to grieve. Last story, and I'm done. Let me give you an example of what it means to be a thin place to those who are grieving. When we were having our first child, told you my giant daughter, Ellie, we got pregnant at the same time as one of my best friends. Uh, he and his wife, they got pregnant. They were about one month ahead of us. They were going to have their baby around February, and we were going to have ours around March or April. And we were so excited because my friend and I, we had done life together. We'd done so many things together, and we'd experienced so many beautiful things, and now we're going to have a child at the same time. And we were celebrating. We'd have dinner together and talk about, oh, this is going to be amazing. Our kids are going to grow up and play together. Isn't that awesome? And then when my friend Drew, when his wife was about not eight and a half months pregnant, they could tell something was wrong with the pregnancy. Nevertheless, the baby was born. It was born alive. And it lived for three days. And it was awful. Many of you have experienced that. It was awful. That baby died. And, of course, my wife and I are so scared because we're about to have a baby, and we've never had a baby before. And so it was traumatic. And, and we went to the graveside service where they were going to bury that little baby. And it was on a hillside by a river in Tennessee. It was beautiful. And there were all of these gravestones up on the hillside. And all the mourners went there to be there for Drew and his wife, Krista. And me and my wife came, and we got there, and we stood among all the people that were mourning. And we noticed a little hole in the ground. And then my friend Drew and his wife pulled up in a car. Drew helped his wife get out of the car, and he reached back in the car, and he got a casket about this big. It was tiny. It was the smallest casket I've ever seen. And he took his wife by the hand, and with the other arm, he held the casket, and they went to the hole in the ground, and he put the casket down in the hole in the ground. Nobody knew what to do. And then my friend Drew said, I don't know what to say right now, all I know to do is worship. So my father brought, he brought an old CD player, like a boom box, if you know what that is. And he put in a, a CD. We don't have those anymore, I guess, right? He put in a CD. And it was this Chris Tomlin song. It was a song called All Things Rise. A beautiful song. And he said, if you'd like, you can just join me now. And he pushed play. And this worship song came on. And Drew got on his knees beside that hole in the ground, and his wife got on her knees. He put one arm around his wife, and he threw the other hand up to heaven, and he worshiped, and it was a thin place. It was a thin place where heaven was breaking in at the grave of a child. And I learned in that moment, blessed are those who mourn. I learned a little bit about what that might mean. Here's why I want to share those things with you today. Because for some of you today, right, you, you're just in the ordinary things of life. Maybe life seems difficult or frustrating or you're in a job you don't like or maybe you're struggling to get work and you, you're wondering, why am I doing this? Why is this 
life's so difficult, and I think for many of us, God is saying you can be a thin place right where you're at, right in the ordinary. For a lot of us today, we spend so much time as Christians avoiding the darkness. And I think Jesus is calling many of us today to say, no, I'm calling you to shine into it, to be a thin place into it. For some of us today, you're mourning, whatever it may be, or there's hurt all around you. God is saying it is time for you to be a thin place, even in grief. When the people of God see themselves as thin places, hell itself cannot come against us because heaven will shine through us. Do you hear what I'm saying? And it can be transformative for our lives and the communities around us, the hurting and the broken. That's the good stuff of the kingdom. Thin places on earth. Little pockets of heaven breaking in. So I'm going to ask the band, I think, to come up. I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to turn the mic over to Edgar to maybe lead us in some kind of ministry time. You guys just join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we sang a few minutes ago. I didn't even know we were going to sing this song, God, so it's so, thank you for this. We sang this song that has this lyric, rushing wind, blow through this place, pierce the worldly veil. Fill our streets with your sweet salvation, love that never fails, spirit burn. Pierce the worldly veil. Would you do that, Lord? Not just later in the week, and I do pray that you would go before your people that are here, that you would empower them to be thin places. But even now, in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts? Would you come, Lord? We pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We see the ordinary, and we want to take you there. We see the darkness and we won't avoid it. We see the hurting and we will grieve, but not as those without hope. Holy Spirit, come. Let's just rest in that for a minute. Holy Spirit, would you come?